You've tuned in to the Roundtable Podcast, episode 50. Yeah, baby. Hello, literary alchemists. I'm Dave Robison. Hey, hey, I'm Ryan Stevenson, still filling in for Brian Humphrey. And you have tuned in to the Roundtable Podcast. Yeah, that's right. Each week here on the Roundtable Podcast, we're bringing writers in to come on the show to present a story idea to us and, most importantly, to our esteemed guest host. That's right. And then we dig into it. We, we, we root around all the dark and tender bits and, and mm. we try and, and find, root out the stuff that's not serving the story and making it stronger, finding its strength and shoring them up with the light of righteousness and creativity. And <laughs> And wow, holy crap, I'm going way over the top on this one. But ultimately, the objective is to transform a raw idea into what we like to call literary gold. Oh, God. I, you know, I, I, I have learned, we all play to our strengths, Ryan. And, and it seems like overblown, over-the-top purple prose is, is my Have you strength. noticed, too, that as you, as you get more into that purple area, you get more British? Have you, I've kind of picked know. up on that lately. I, well, see, and that's... Uh, I actually... I, I, well, I'll go ahead and share this. Um, I recently <laughs> uh, uh, got chosen uh, by a media company to start narrating audiobooks. Right on. Thank you. And uh, yeah, it's very cool. And for pay, too. It's like, holy crap. What? I can, I can what? get. I know, exactly. <laughs> it's madness. So, but some of the, some of the books that I've been narrating uh, have this very, dis- if, if not the characters, then certainly the whole tone of the book. Just you can tell from the phrasing that there's, there's a, a British overtone to it. So I, I let that leak in. And yeah, I, I, guess, I guess there's a natural instinct there. Bizarre. Just That's bizarre. It. That's not the weirdest thing a guy can do. <laughs> true that. True that. Let's get our let's get our guest host on uh, because she is entirely more literate than either you or I combined. Uh, dear friends, New York Times best-selling author and part of the evil genius behind the remarkable literary incubator known as Paper Lantern Lit. Please welcome back to the big chair at the round table, Lauren Oliver. Lauren, thank you so much for coming back and 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 helping us workshop a story. I cannot tell you how excited we are to have you here for this particular part of the show. I'm so excited to be here. I love workshopping stories and and this is my bread and butter. This is what I love to do. So, oh god. Thrilled. Thanks for having me. It, it feels like it feels like I'm I'm the we're the karate kid and you're Mr. Miyagi, which is not a <laughs> metaphor. We, I've we, always wanted to be compared to Mr. Miyagi. Thank see, you. Bam. You're, see and we're, dream. we're all about dreams come true here at the round table. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Lauren, uh, I, I know you you have so much uh, incredible achievement behind you, and I know that there's more coming on down the pike. So, would you regale our listeners for a bit in in some of those accomplishments that maybe they're not aware of, and and also some of the stuff they can look forward to in the coming weeks and months? Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, and in in my capacity as an author, um, just an introduction. I'm the author of several teen novels and several novels for children. There's the Delirium series. Um, Delirium and Pandemonium are out, and Requiem, its sequel, is out March fifth. Um, or it's the, the end of the trilogy, rather. Uh, I've written two books for middle grade readers, Liesl and Poe and The Spindlers. And, um, and I have another teen book called Panic and an adult book, a book for grownups coming out in 2014. So that's very exciting. And then, you know, I'm really here as one half of, of the evil geniuses, as you say, which is another, another 
um, kind of compliment in my world, <laughs> Paper Lantern Lit. Um, and we are a literary incubator and we have a really exciting year coming up. Um, I think we have four or five book releases. And also for all of you authors, we are going to have a major presence at AWP and we will be looking for writers, looking for people who want to learn how to tell stories. Um, you should check out what we do at paperlanternlit.com and, and we're always looking for submissions and and we love you and we want you. <laughs> That's awesome. That's very cool. What are, what are the books that are coming out? Are, they, are, are there any coming out in, in yeah. early? Yeah, we have a book. We have a sequel to, we have a fabulous series for, it's a funny um, series for middle grade boys. The first book is called Popular Clone. And uh, it's about a boy who, a dork who clones himself so he won't have to go to school. (laughs) And its sequel, Cloneward Bound, is coming out in February, February 15th. So if you have any boys on your your shopping list, it's a great pick. Um, We have some, we have an amazing book called Truth or Dare. It's very kind of sexy and scary YA that's coming out in May. Um, We have the conclusion to the Fury Trilogy, Eternity in the Fall. We have... Um, the second book in the Venom series coming out called Belladonna in the fall. Um, we have lots of exciting stuff. I could actually go on and on, but um, <laughs> many books, many exciting things. Check out our website. That's outstanding. And, and the website for Paper Lantern Lit is? Paperlanternlit.com. So pretty easy. Again, not, not so imaginative, but. Um, hey, it gets the point across. And, and where do people go when they want to find out more about Lauren Oliver? Um, LaurenOliverBooks.com. Also, you know, functional and easy to remember. <laughs> that's right. That's right. That's it's on the web. It's getting there. Then they can. Then you can melt their face with awesome yeah, coolness. Exactly. But if they don't yeah. get there, no faces are melted, and we want melted faces. That's the goal. Absolutely. That's the goal. <laughs> well, Lauren, thank you. We will make sure all of that gets into the liner notes, dear friends. Feel free to click while you listen and check out all of that awesomeness. Um, but for right now, here's what I want to do. I want to take a pause. I want to, I want to donate some precious Potosphere airtime to mm. another fabulous podcast or, or ebook or Kickstarter program or anything uh, uh, that I think you guys will totally be jazzed about. And then when we come back, we will workshop a story. What do you say? Yay. I say let's do her. <laughs> I, think, I love it. I, I, think, I think we are unanimous in that decision. And so, dear friends, stay right where you are because we're going to be right back. Over the course of a single night, mystical fires tore through the sky and reduced most of Earth to ash. Ten years later, magical fire burns again, but this time it's in the hands of a young girl named Skylar. Exiled from her adoptive home, Skylar must now struggle through ruined lands and religious zealots who believe she's an agent of the devil. An even greater threat exists in the form of shadowy sorcerers from another world who covet her blood. Along her journey, she meets a motley band of outcasts who not only know the secret of what happened to Earth, but also of Skylar's true origin. Will Skylar be able to accept this fantastical truth? But more importantly, can her powers and raging heart be tamed in time to stop those who once burned the world and now seek total domination? Justin R. McCumber, the author of Haywire, has unleashed his new novel upon the world, A Minor Magic. Published by Crescent Moon Press, it is a post-apocalyptic tale of death, 
Love and Magic. It's available from Amazon and Barnes and Noble, both in print and ebook formats. If you'd like to know more about the author, visit his site at justinmccumber.com as well as facebook.com forward slash Justin R. McCumber. Welcome back. And now, finally, we're moving into that part of the roundtable experience that I love, the story workshop, the yes. reason we're here. Yes. This is the science right here. This is where it happens. Our Bunsen burners are all warmed up. We <laughs> polished out our Petri dishes, and I've reset all the beads on my abacus back to the left side. All that's left now for us to do is to get some story science going, and that requires an author who's ready to toss the science textbooks out the window, throw on the lab coat and take a stool, and change the world with some literary invention. So, Dave, who you got for us today, brother? It's science. Awesome. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Ryan, uh, uh, about our guest writer for the show, mm. in kindergarten, she announced that she wanted to be a dinosaur when she yes. grew up. Yes. Fantastic. Or, failing that, Joan of Arc. Now, <laughs> now, this is not actually all that surprising, considering she is the offspring of a musician turned nurse and a male model turned teacher. So she's been inundated by words and creativity. Ultimately, she found her true power as the editor-in-chief of her high school newspaper. And it was under the crushing tyranny of her reign <laughs> that the newspaper actually won first place for general excellence by the New York Press Association for High School Journalism in 2009. So, yes. dear friends, armed with badassery and awesomeness, please welcome <laughs> to the writer's chair, Cabret Walker. Kebby, God, we know it's never easy to put your baby up mm. for scrutiny, and we are so grateful that you did. Thank you, ma'am. I'm excited. Oh, so are we. So, so how long did it take you to grow out of the, the wanting to be a dinosaur phase of your youth? Or have you? Yeah, that's, uh, mm. you don't have to say you have. You can still be in dinosaur phase. I think I am. <laughs> I think after I tried to be a pterodactyl and fell on my ass, that was not the time that I couldn't do that anymore. Oh, no, there's it's an image. I can yep. see you, you had a blanket, didn't you? And you jumped off the roof of the house? What? <laughs> I jumped off like those little, it wasn't a jungle gym, but it was kind of like a little like Rocky Mountain thing that they had on our playground. And I jumped off and proved that I was human. And, and you found that, that aerodynamic flight was not for you. That's yeah. awesome. Well, speaking of leaping off, Keb, uh, uh, let's roll into this because you've got a story to workshop, right? Yes. Yes. All right. So here's the deal. We're going to give you five to eight minutes. All right. Uh, give us the title, the genre, and the format. Uh, introduces to the world, if that's relevant, introduces to your characters, antagonists, and protagonists. Uh, give us basic signposts of the story idea, and and we'll take it from there. So, Keb, the mic is all yours, ma'am. Alrighty, great. Um, well, the title of the book is Welcome to Humanity, and it is a young adult fantasy novel. The hook line is, after the grisly murder of her mother at her high school graduation, 17-year-old Wren discovers that she is a Red Hood, the last descendant of Red Riding Hood, was the first protector of supernatural creatures. And Wren must take up the position of sheriff to the not-so-human residents of small-town humanity, Georgia. 
The story is really about the sacrifices we make for the people we love and finding the courage within. The story takes place in present day in the small town of Humanity, Georgia. It is one of those towns where there are more coffee shops than churches, and if you need to find an organic, gluten-free, farm-raised sweater, Humanity is the place. The action takes place in four main areas around Humanity. There's the Humanity Nature Preserve, which is home to both the Humanity Werewolves and the Combat Arena, nicknamed the Circus. There is Second on the right, which is the clothing boutique where the protagonist, Ren, works, and Fool's Paradise, a local dive bar for the human residents, but it also serves as a railway station for the not-so-human supernatural creatures. I chose these places because I wanted everything to be bubbling underneath the surface and to feel as normal as possible but still have an element of mystery. The protagonist of the story is Renee Ren Hollins, a 16-year-old aspiring stylist and the daughter of the local butcher, Ruby Hollins. Ren is an easygoing girl who hates change, and while others dream of getting out of the small town, she's perfectly, perfectly content with staying in humanity forever. She is witty, sarcastic, but above all, she desires peace, which is her greatest strength, but also her greatest weakness. One of the things I love about Ren is that once she figures out that she has to step into basically her mother's shoes, she doesn't become this warrior, but as the story progresses, she realizes what's at stake and she becomes her own kind of superhero. She is supported by three other characters, Bianca, Liam, and Danielle. Bianca was a childhood friend of Ren who lived with Ren and her mother until she was taken away from Ren to start her training as a werewolf. They meet again at the circus after Ren is tested to prove her worth to humanity and forced to fight a member of a wolf pack, which turns out to be Bianca. Bianca is protective, loyal, and fun-loving, but she'll be forced to choose between her pack and Ren. Liam and Danielle are bartenders at Fool's Paradise, but serve as the last remaining protectors of Red Hoods and were her mother Ruby's deputies. As well as being heads of the Banshee faction, they will be Ren's guides into the realm of Supernatural. The primary antagonist is Fuego, the leader of the Demon faction. Fuego's father was killed by Ruby as a consequence for killing a human. Ever since Fuego's father died, Fuego became distrustful of the Red Hoods and viewed their roles as dictators. Fuego declares war on Ren and all those who side with the Red Hoods and views her murderer Ruby as cleansing the supernatural community of any human influence. Fuego is deadly calm, level-headed, but her greatest weakness is that she once loved Liam and yearns for a normal human life despite the darkness that consumes her. Fuego is supported by her younger brother Daniel, who finds himself falling for Ren. And here I get into the plot. Act 1. Um, the first couple of pages of the book serve as a prologue. Seven-year-old Ren and Bianca have snuck into her mother's room and discovered weapons and a red cloak at the top of the closet. Ren yanks it down, and a piece of the cloak falls on Bianca, burning her hand. The next day is Ren's birthday, and Ren's mother discovers the crescent-shaped burn on Bianca's hand, and not two hours later, beautiful women, all bearing the same mark, take Bianca away from Ren. Bianca vows that she will find Ren again. The story then picks up with Ren and Ruby driving to her high school graduation nine years later. Ren and Ruby argue about Ren's plans for the future. Ren wants to stay in humanity and become a co-owner of Second on the Right, while her mother wants her to get out of humanity and see the world. They fight all the way there, 
and when Ren goes to receive her diploma, a scream is heard throughout the crowd. And Ren sees a man, turns out to be Liam, carrying her dead mother into the football field. Ren is left to manage her mother's affairs at 17. She is about to sell the butcher shop when she is attacked by a demon and saved by the same man who found her mother's body, Liam and Danyam. They take her to Fool's Paradise and tell her the truth of her life, that all the women in her family are descendants of Red Riding Hood, the first protector and hunter of supernatural creatures, and now Ren must take up the family business. Well, Ren runs away screaming and packs up, her, packs up the house to move to New York. It is then that she discovers the cloak that her mother left her, and, well, she puts it on, and it transforms into a red leather jacket, symbolizing the passing of the powers of the Red Hood down to Ren. Ren then decides to return to Fool's Paradise to serve as the new Red Hood on the condition that she does it her way. Act 2. Ren is introduced to the different factions of humanity, and after offending, well, accidentally, the head of the wolf pack, she's challenged to howl at the circus, a gladiator-style fight between her and an unknown member of the humanity wolf pack. Liam and Danielle attempt to train her, but she's, well, horrible. Ren refuses to have someone fight for her, and decides to meet her protectors at the circus where they beg her to reconsider. The fight goes horribly, and Liam almost intervenes when the opponent is revealed to be Bianca, and Bianca decides that she no longer wants to fight Ren. Ren and Bianca reconnect, and Bianca decides to take over Ren's combat training. After a night of training, Ren and Bianca head to Fool's Paradise for dinner, where a fight breaks out between the demon faction and the werewolves. While breaking it up, Ren is introduced to Fuego, the beautiful leader of the demon pack, and her brother Daniel. Liam and Danielle warn Ren that Fuego is not to be trusted, as the demon faction has become harder and harder to control over the years. Act 3. Ren starts to get the hang of her Red Hood abilities and learns about her mother's history. She then finds out that Liam and Danielle have lied to her. Ruby wanted Ren to have no part of her Red Hood legacy and to live a normal life. Ren basically runs away from Fool's Paradise and wants nothing more to do with it until she accidentally runs into Daniel and he comforts her. But while he's doing that, Daniel's actually trying to seduce Ren into giving the demon faction more power. More power. They kiss, and Fuego uses this opportunity to attack Ren, but Daniel won't let her. Fuego then declares war on Ren and all the factions that refuse to join her. The book ends with Fuego disappearing with her army at her side. Before disappearing, Fuego reveals two things. That she is Ruby's killer, and that Ren's father is still alive. And that's all I've got. Okay. Very good. So you don't really necessarily have a, a, an, en an ending for this, right? Um, I thought that last bit was going to be my ending, but I'm... Okay. I'm Can I okay. ask a question? Actually, yeah. hold on just one second. Let me, let me, uh, uh, we'll, we'll go around the table real quick. Uh, uh, there's just a couple of pieces of business we need to, to wrap up. Mm -hmm. um, Keb, first of all, what are you hoping to get out of this conversation? I'm hoping to just get feedback and to see if my story is entertaining and if it if there's something about it that is new and fresh and i'm just looking to really just learn okay 
Well, I think you may have come to the right place. Uh, I think we can accommodate that. Before we launch into this, Ryan, would you be so kind as to cover our ass, please? Yep, I'll keep it simple this time. Anything we're about to say to you about this story right now, it's it's our ideas, but this is still your story. The story belongs to you. So it's at your discretion as to whether or not you want to harvest some of these ideas that we're going to throw your way or if you just want to kind of put them in a bag and toss them out the window. Either way, it's your call, but you have to make that call, okay? Okay. Awesome. Very cool. All right. So it is our custom to take a quick turn around the table and give some first impressions and ask some questions of clarification. Uh, uh, and we always lead off with our guest host. So Lauren, if you would, uh, what were your first impressions of Keb's story idea? Um, I know you've got questions, so now's the time to ask them. Start us off, ma'am. Okay. First question, um, given the kind of structure I heard and that Act 1, Act 2, Act 3, which you blocked out, I'm assuming you see this as a series. Yes. Okay. Do you, okay, that's, that's good. You don't necessarily need to know anything beyond that, but, you know, I could tell from the place that you left off. Um, first impressions, uh, it's cool. It has a kind of True Blood-esque vibe, or could. Um, I'm seeing some of that influence. Do you know True Blood at all? Yes, I do. Okay, so, and do you think that's mm-hmm. kind of a fair comparison? Are you going for something like that? Mm, I was. Yeah. Sort of. Um, that's good. And, and just, I mean, you know, in order to be fresh and cool, it doesn't have to be, you don't have to reinvent the wheel. Um, I, I think that there's promise in, in the story um, and some of its mythological elements. I always like stories in which somebody's, in, in which there's kind of a normal world and a paranormal world kind of existing side by side. Um, I definitely think that um, there will be work for you to do on generating conflict in the story. Um, you, I, yeah, uh, I don't know how much to say. You seem already on this podcast like a very sweet girl, and sometimes sometimes when people, writers, shy away from, from actually giving their characters more and more conflict because they don't want to put them through that. And I think that will be kind of the biggest challenge to, to making this story what it could be. But I really like the concept of a girl who discovers her mother's legacy and also has to step into it um, in, order to, uh, in order to discover her own kind of destiny um, because I think that resonates for a lot of teens. Sure. Yeah. Excellent. Mm-hmm. Excellent. Ryan, yourself, sir, first impressions and any questions? Yeah, well, I've got I've got quite a few questions that I wrote down here, but I'm going to kind of get to those as we go along. The, the first thing I, I love this idea. I've always liked the idea of of there being uh, this discovery that you know a person is more than the sum of the day they were born to their current day. That there's a history behind them. That history extends beyond their own existence. And and I I like the way that you introduce that. In fact, when you mentioned Red Riding Hood, immediately I started smiling, thinking I love that twist. That's that's great. That's a good way to angle this. Um, and, and I think that a lot of what you talked about really aims it that way. So I'm, I'm excited to hear where we go with that. Um, I do have a lot of questions about the mechanics of the world as a whole so that I can start guiding my own thoughts. And my first big question will be to the awareness of the supernatural to those who are not supernatural. I, at first, I assumed the de facto response is that there are supernatural elements and they are hidden and then there are, you know, humanity for lack of a better way to put it and they are ignore, ignorant sorry of that is that true in this case yes it is very true it there's definitely well i think that there's definitely a divide within the story that if you are not a supernatural creature any character you have no idea what's going on 
right. and that's and that, true for Ren until she finds out. So right, and that seems to me like it could really kind of go with with what we were talking about here about conflict. I didn't hear any character who is not already or is, becomes aware of the supernatural component, and it seems like an easy opportunity for you to have a character that is not supernatural mm. to mm. give you that conflict or give you something to work with there. Excellent point. Yeah. Yes, definitely. And, and for myself, I will echo the sentiments that have been said. This, this has a lot of sparkle to it, Keb. There's, there's uh, good, strong, thematic elements. There's, there's conflict that I think can be ratcheted up but you've you've created you've created one of those places that has lots of shadowy corners that readers and protagonists want to explore or want to avoid like the plague. Both are good. Um, I do have a few questions. Uh, one is, why are all of these supernatural beings here in humanity, in the town of humanity? What is it about humanity? that requires that all of these races and beings and supernatural entities are here. Have you given that any thought? I have, actually. Okay, give, give it to us real quick, but just do you have a, give it that to us. They basically came to humanity because of the name, because it's a safe place for them to be, and it's normal. They're not trying to, I guess they're not, trying to run around the place screaming that they're werewolves and demons and trying to take over. They want a normal life, and the Red Hoods kind of serve as an ambassador to that. And Okay. Uh, can, I, can, I, can I jump up? Can I Please, absolutely. Okay, so, and I had a question, too, about, about it being in Georgia. Because, I mean, you know, if I were a werewolf who wanted to go on... on you know, disguised and live a normal life, I'd move to New York City, you know? Um, so, so to have a small town in which... I, I like the idea of a small town because it actually does generate more tension, especially if it's a town in which many people kind of are willfully ignorant of or somewhat willfully ignorant about, you know, the darker sides of life. I mean, that can generate tension, but is it something... I mean, could the answer be in perhaps the mythos of Red Riding Hood? Was this where the first Red Riding Hood existed and died i mean could the answer be in something like that yes um that would seem to make a slightly more sense for why people would gravitate to a small town where i mean because i mean the werewolves and the demons they're not invisible are they i mean so they just have to kind of really lay low and the people in the town are kind of they don't want to see what what is you know what goes counter to their intuition about the world something like that Yes, yes, very much yeah. so. Okay. There needs to be a strong reason why it's humanity and Georgia and not people blending into a, demons blending into a big city where presumably they could go less. Um, and I think be that's a good point. I think especially since you're using werewolves, you've got a really easy answer to that too because werewolves being part wolf would be territorial. They're not going to stray far from home for lack of a better way to put it. So if they've been here a long time, this is home for them. Well, and also, if you're going to use the Red Riding Hood myth, and this is one thing that I think is really important, I mean, it can't, I love that, and because it's been underexploited, but it shouldn't just be a throwaway. There should be some, it should have some resonance to the overall story. So, you know, maybe, I mean, the fact that the Red Hoods are here, the society, I mean, there, maybe there's some way where, you know, the original Red Riding Hood or you know, however you reconceive her myth or use her myth has set up almost some protected boundary so that these, these creatures can't go outside of humanity. Mm, you know yeah. Yeah. 
That's great. Or, or even wow. a healing place, a, a, a sanctuary where supernatural creatures that run afoul of humanity uh, can retreat and heal. Uh, that would give you some all kinds of great stories coming in from the outside world uh, uh, that you could then go out and explore and give give Ren in future stories maybe uh, uh, an opportunity to step out. But yeah, uh, absolutely. And I think it could be kind of cool if part of you know this would be a very very small subtle subplot. But again, if you're going to have these descendants of Red Riding Hood, use the Red Riding Hood myth and do something interesting with it. I mean, it could be really cool if Ren actually discovers that ultimately the story of Red Riding Hood that she knows of Red Riding Hood being consumed by the wolf, you know, it's not true that Red Riding Hood actually sacrificed herself to the wolves because she knew that if she did that, there would be a protected, you know, there would be almost like a magic protected space for them to exist. You know, something like that. Not that, but, wow. you know, but there's some, re there's a twist on that, that myth then. Sure. Yeah. And, and maybe, maybe something, maybe, you know, it could be that the Red Hoods began in, you know, in Germany, in uh, uh, the, in the Dutchlands, in the Netherlands, where these stories began, uh, and then some relic or artifact that 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 gives the Red Hoods their power was was transported. Uh, I, I keep getting the sensation of of a supernatural war at some point, a secret war that happened long ago, uh, uh, and and that everyone is terrified, both supernaturals and the few humans that are aware of what's going on are terrified of having happen again um, because that gives you reason to have a sanctuary because there's, there's skirmishes and battles going on outside. It also gives you an opportunity to heighten the tension so that the stakes can be raised even beyond just the small town of humanity. Uh, uh, and I might be taking an epic fantasy swing on that, and I tend to do that, and I apologize. <laughs> well, um, I think it, yeah, I think that's really cool, and I think actually... Again, this is, you know, and I want to talk to you about your your front story, but I think it's absolutely important if you're going to use fantasy elements, even if some of them don't show up in the finished book, to really understand what they are. And yes. I mean, it could be really cool if, like, now that you just said that, Dave, I'm thinking, you know, let's say Red Riding Hood is a parable, which of course it is. What if it turns out that that whole story of going through the woods, venturing to grandmother's house, that actually was kind of you know, that way back in the day in Germany or in Europe, these paranormal creatures were just getting slaughtered, systematically rounded up and slaughtered. And the journey of Red Riding Hood was actually a journey to kind of save these creatures and to find like a homeland for them. And she ended up going on this journey ah. and sacrificing and ending up in homeland where they could be, have a protected life. Yeah. But then from the perspective of the, the paranormal creatures and Frego, He's like, why should we ever trust humans when they did this to us thousands of years ago? And this has just always been a form of control. Who's to say they won't just slaughter us again? Blah, blah, blah. Do you know what I mean? Yes. <laughs> you there, Keb? I'm here. I'm just okay, listening cool. and going crazy at the same time. So. <laughs> Ryan, did you have something to add there, bud? Yeah, well, I do. Just I want to echo that last name in the Lauren just made because I think there's a really there's a secondary effect to that that's really good. Unless I'm misconstruing something from what I heard, I kind of got the impression that the majority of the werewolves in the story are not, you know, vicious killing monsters. They're actually. Like, you know, I'm, I'm scrolling through my notes here real fast to find her name, and of course it's disappearing. Bianca. Yes. You know, yeah, there's a conflict there, a physical conflict at the beginning, but then very quickly Bianca becomes a friend, a werewolf who is a friend. And I love that idea that Lauren's presenting that suggests that that mythos of Red Riding Hood is a reflection of their friendship, that, that Red Riding Hood's story is about saving, not destroying 
the werewolves or, or that mythos and entails that component. That's, that's a neat angle. I oh think yeah. In fact, that could, that could, that whole myth could have been a lie. The whole notion of the woodsman coming in and cutting open the wolf and everything. No, the real red hood went in and, and talked the wolf down from transgressing against humanity. But, but the culture was not prepared to deal with that and they warped it and distorted it. So, and, and nobody knows that nobody knows that not even the red hoods, you know, maybe one of the revelations that, that Ren has is discovering a cache of truth somewhere in there. Maybe something that Liam or Danielle are hiding, uh, in the bar that, that shows the true nature of the red hoods. Uh, uh, I mean, in that sense, it could be really cool. You know, this is her great, 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 great grandfather, grandmother. And what really happened was she escaped with you know, some of these paranormal creatures, including the wolves and landed in humanity. And it was actually the woodsman who actually represents kind of those figures who are against the paranormal creatures who killed her and then blamed it on the wolves so that humanity. Would yeah. Yeah. Help. Yeah. Awesome. I didn't, it doesn't even have to be a point of blame really. I mean, there's something as Dave was talking about that. I thought that that, that kind of touches on that whole idea that as a story gets told and retold, it gets twisted too. Maybe there never really was any blame associated. It's just over time. You know, people doing what people do. We made ourselves the heroes. Sure, somebody right. heard about the Red Hoods and came up with a story and filled in the blanks. And yeah, and we just got it wrong. And as it's gone get a on, bad rep for centuries. Right. I, I, I guess my my point here, or the point I, I'm going to try very poorly to eloquate, is the <laughs> fact that uh, it's it's not so like we're trying to address the question of why the werewolves are in, and the Red Hoods are in this town. But I think we're also starting to segue into another thing that that I think needs to be talked about, which is that discovery that she needs to make. Something that takes her from just being a reactive character who's got the cloak into, you know, a, yeah. a, yes. a shining example of what the Red Hoods are. Yeah, Absolutely. And I would like to actually piggyback on that to talk a little bit about the front story, to go and talk about the front story as you've outlined it. Yeah, yeah. Um, one of the first things that struck me... Um, well, two things struck me, and they're related, so just bear with me. Um, you defined the character Ren at the start, Cab, as, as wanting, I think you said wanting peace, wanting peace. Um, yeah. And for me, one thing that immediately occurred to me, because you, you've also defined this as teen, and I'm going to speak as like the, the, the teen person <laughs> right now. So, so that for me, if I were a teen and I wanted peace and I wanted normalcy, it would entail wanting to maintain the status quo, maintain the status quo with my friends, going to school, going to dances. I mean, you've chosen to start the story at prom, which is late in the school year, but I think it could be really interesting, and this could, again, actually speak to um, the suggestion that there be somebody who's not supernatural. You know, where are not supernatural friends? Where's her desire to actually just be a normal girl, to shrug off this responsibility, to, to, you know, to have, you know, to go out with a cute boy in her class, or keep her grades up while all of this craziness is happening to us. I mean, that's another way of generating tension and conflict. And I definitely think that trying to maintain the balance between those two things is going to give the story, you know, depth and, and tension. And the other thing that's related to that is at the end of Act 1, she initially refuses the offer of being a Red Hood, but then as soon as she puts on the coat, she accepts it. At the end of Act 1, it needs to be a more active decision. Something yeah. needs to happen to change her mind. You know, she says no, and it can't just be about, okay, I, I found this coat, this is about my mother, because that's a really easy way of solving a really complex conflict. So is there some way that somebody she knows could be endangered, or she sees she has no choice? Or again, heightening the stakes, raising the stakes. She says no, and then what? 
you know, she wants no part in it, in it. And then what? Something happens to change her mind. She knows that she's the only one who can help. Do you know what I mean? Yes. Well, and, and I'm and, saying yes and no to everything, but I'm. Just, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm <laughs> we that we we, had to, we tend to have that effect on on guest writers. It's all good. It's all good. Um, and Keb, if anything that we come up with uh, strikes something, and and you can expand on it with with backstory that you uniquely have because this is your story, um, please feel free to do so. You're 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 just as much a part of this discussion as as the three of us. So so feel free to jump in at any time. Um, I, I actually, Lauren and Keb and Ryan, I want to actually kind of turn something on its ear. Um, uh, the notion of of Ren not discovering about her mother's legacy. And having the whole, I want to protect my daughter and have give her a normal life. Keb, have you considered reversing that completely uh, uh, and having uh, uh, Ren grow up in the business? And as she grows older and older, um, you know, mom is part of that old school hardcore. Uh, we must fight, fight, fight. Uh, and she and Ren doesn't want any part of that. And actually, like maybe goes away. Uh, uh, to 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 high school or to a boarding school or something leaves humanity and then has to come back and maybe brings a friend from the outside world a, 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 a not necessarily a love interest but a friend and then all of the revelations that normally Ren would we, the reader would experience through Ren could be experienced through this human read also vulnerable and mm -hmm. imperiled uh, uh, friend. Uh, who then Ren needs to explain and understand, and then of course there's more layers that even Ren doesn't understand. What is, does that resonate at all, or am I on the wrong track there? Something um, to think about. Yeah, I think I like that. I really, really do. Okay. Well, and you don't have to <laughs> because some of these ideas are total crap, dear. Well, honestly. Like, <laughs> but it, it does. But that speaks to. I mean, if she grows up understanding her mom's legacy and really rejecting it. What it does allow, enable, is that after her mom's death, there could be an amount of guilt. I mean, she could still reject it. Yeah. But again, I do think something specific and concrete needs to happen to redirect her her desires and to, to make her shoulder this burden. Um, I do think this is, not, this is not a criticism, but this is just a broader craft point. A lot of times young authors, what they do is they get their characters into bad situations and then they immediately deflate the bad situations. So, for example, she says no, and then she says yes. Um, but, mm -hmm. but actually, what, what makes people keep turning the pages is a sustained level of conflict. Um, I noticed it again in Act 2, when she's going to fight with a werewolf, but then the werewolf turns out to be a Bianca, and Bianca won't fight with her, um, which is a really sweet moment. But somebody should fight with her. There should be another werewolf that says, no, we're fighting, and, and mm -hmm. she has to do something to defend herself. Because other than that, otherwise, you set up a fight scene, and everybody's gearing for mm. up Mm -hmm. And then the fight scene doesn't happen. That's right. If and you show a gun in Act 1, you better fire that bad boy in Act 3. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And it's a little bit like that moment when you're really hungry and a waiter starts coming to your table with a plate and then it goes to another table. You know? It's like so disappointing. No. Um, or like the entire Twilight franchise did wrong. <laughs> but I won't get into that. But do you, does that speak to you? Do you understand what I, what I mean by that point? Yes. Um, uh, can I interject? Please. Yeah. Um. The idea that I had with the fight, um, I originally had them fighting, um, and Bianca is basically kicking the crap out of Ren, and Ren kind of is wondering why this girl is being so harsh to her, and Bianca says something like, why did you, you, 
why did you leave me or something stupid like that nothing like that but and Worst it kind of effect. gets twisted on kind of gets twisted on the ear and and just something like that i don't know what i'm saying well, well no about- I, and i and i like that instinct i mean i do i i just i have somewhat of a yeah i have a i shy away in in general from from like I love characters. I love female friendships in YA novels. They're so underdone, you know? I mean, often in YA novels, friends are just shown or girls are just shown competing over men. And I think that's really problematic. Um, And, I mean, I could see that. That's actually very dramatic. Um, Although I do also like, I do, and I definitely think somebody should fight with her. Um, It's difficult. You could make that work in scene, but I also think it's very possible that, you know, Ren would refuse to fight with her, and then somebody else from the tribe would step up and what, be like, "Well, somebody's fighting." What you know, about what about this? What about this? If 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 Ren, I mean, early on, whether whether Ren is knowledgeable of of the what's going on or not, at some point Bianca is taken away from her, and we and in in the initial presentation, she was taken away as though, "Oh, my friend." Oh, and I can see the hands reaching out to each other as the crescent moon people take her away. What if Bianca is stoked? to go. This is my day to go and be a werewolf. Yeah, fuck yeah, that's awesome. And when Ren comes into the fight, into the ring, Bianca is totally into this world. She is, you know, in this fight, she represents the pride and the legacy of the supernatural creatures of humanity. And the fact that Ren won't fight her is almost like a denial. Like like mm-hmm. Ren is saying, "No, yeah. your lifestyle yeah. Is, is inappropriate. And Bianca, not angrily, but as a representative, says, no, I'm going to show you. And then they fight. And in the end, Ren cannot deny her red cloak nature. And she, you know, in the end, bam, one, you know, some mystical thing rises up from the artifact off in the nature grove where it rests or under a house or whatever. And she feels that and she sees it and that rage that anger that the red hoods have had for so long channels through her and she fights and she wins but she feels dirty she feels like she's betrayed everything she believes in by yielding to that impulse i love i i sorry i love that idea i think it's amazing that's amazing I, and I actually think also, too, it could be a really just sweet, like, chapter. I'm picturing a chapter out where Ren's like, now you're ready. You know what I mean? Or, like, now, where, I'm sorry, where Bianca says that to Ren. Because she knew that Ren's going to have to tap into that in order to face the challenges she's going to face. But actually, that also just, I had an idea for the end of Act 1. What if, instead of her mom dying in mid-Act 1, her mom, maybe even her mom reaches out to her. Her mom has a premonition that bad things are coming. Her mom reaches out to her, reveals this thing about who she is, or, or if you take the other pitch, she's kind of already known, even though she's resisted it. And her mom says, you need, to, you need to assume this mantle now. My time is running out. And Ren kind of dismisses it for whatever reason or is horrified by it, whatever. And at the end of Act 1, her mom dies. And that's, when, that's the thing that motivates her to know. That's well, like last beat. And that's when she knows she must do this, you know, for her mother and for herself. Ryan, what you got, bud? Well, you know what? I do have something I want to comment on that. But before I do, I, I kind of want to hear what Keb has to say to that statement. Okay. Because I think that's going to influence what I say. That's a good point. Keb? Um, I think that... Well, first of all, wow. <laughs> um, <laughs> I think that having... 
um, her mother reach out to her and having that kind of be the the driving force of her wanting to become a Red Hood is a great idea. And I and I think it kind of would it would speak more to Ren that way instead of her just um, putting on this cloak and being, oh, okay, it's fine. Now I'm going to go run away and do this. I think that it would really, it would really affect her because she's a person who hates change and now she's got a death thrown at her. Mm-hmm. She's not- and this is the biggest change of her life and she can't run away from it. Right. Yes. Right. And that's, that's kind of where I was going to lead with that. So, or my thought was at least, so feel free to laugh at this one. Cause it's, it's, I'm going to attempt to segue what we're all talking about here in a little bit of a way. Um, <laughs> I like the idea of her, of, of kind of what Dave was talking about, that she's not, um, she, she's not there. She's not present. Maybe she's gone she, for whatever reason. Her mother dies. Now someone killed her mother because her mother was a Red Hood. That person should therefore naturally assume, knowing that this passes from mother to daughter, that Ren is the next Red Hood, and therefore all they have to do is get rid of her, and you just stop the entire line. The challenge is, Ren's not a Red Hood yet. They don't know that. So maybe that's part of the catalyst, or some component of that is a part of the catalyst that inspires her, or forces her, to pick up the slack to stop being so resistant to change at this point and say all right you know what i don't have a choice now it's either i put on this cloak and kick some booty or i get you know shot in the face or whatever the heck happens to them yeah it's it's a do or die i i personally like do or die moments where it's yeah yeah, you're being reactive because you've been pushed to the edge of the cliff and people can only do two things when they get pushed the edge of the cliff go off the edge or push back now keb let me just confirm one one factoid here fuego killed ruby right Yes. Okay. All right. <laughs> okay. So assuming there it is. So so um so let's say Ren is away and she's with this friend that we were talking about, and she gets a letter from humanity, from her mother. Come home, something terrible has happened, it's big, it's it's bad, you need to come home. Oh my god, I don't want to go home, screw that. But as Ryan said, Fuego, the demon queen. Uh, uh, knows that Ren is next. She's killed Ruby by the time this letter has gotten there, and now she dispatches a demon assassin to kill Ren while she's even away from humanity. Ren fends it off, but her friend takes a demon wound of some kind, and only the healing... Pa- I know this is a total MacGuffin, but only the, only the, the, the power of the red, red cape uh, artifact can, can heal the wound. I don't know. But having, having that weirdness of... Uh, a demon attacking Ren outside of humanity and having the friend see it and somehow be invested. Maybe the friend just says, no, you're not going alone. I'm going with you. It's like, this is weird. It's like, that's okay. So um, that's my that's my first thought. Second thought, and I'll go really quick with this. Back in the day when the red, red cloaks carried the artifact and fled from the bloodshed of Europe and settled in, at the time wilderness there was no georgia they found this nice tract of land with ample game and stuff and said okay no one will ever be here this is gonna this will be our sanctuary forever of course humanity builds 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 and now they they have to uh, have this sanctuary walled off from humanity but what the red cloaks didn't realize was that they were building on some sort of demon power place 
and Fuego has discovered and has decided, as you said, Keb, that it's time for the demons to take over. With this, we have the power to make war on humanity. All we have to do is kill all the red cloaks and then destroy the artifact, and we can make war on humanity. And now, Ren has an initial stake because she's got to find out about her mother and her legacy and all of this, integrating with humanity, and then you've got this bigger danger that if she doesn't defeat Fuego, there's going to be a demon war in the world. I would do one thing there. I yeah. like that idea. Change the word war with humanity to war with werewolves. If we're sticking with the idea that the Red Hoods were actually werewolf protectors. The only thing stopping the demons from going to war with the werewolves okay. is the Red Hoods. Just wait, wait, wait. I, this actually brings up a broader p- question, though, about this that I think really needs to get resolved. Because if it's very obvious to everyone who the Red Hood is in the town and there's only one, and people want to annihilate that person, like if it's open and everybody knows then the red hood would not survive very long so i think that somehow there needs to be it's either like you know the the werewolves and other paranormal creatures know who it is but the demons really are evil and they're kind of they don't know who the red hood is i mean how how can we do you see what i'm saying though if like everyone knows that there's one red hood and like a bunch of people are trying to kill that red hood i feel like it would be very hard for that red hood to well, I would, I would think that everybody else is all down with the Red Hood vibe. I mean, okay. they're the protectors. They're right. the sanctions. So the werewolves okay. are on okay. her side. Amen. Got it. Got it. Well, I, and I, I absolutely think raising the stakes, I think, you know, that's the thing you want to try to do all through the book. It's like, first, you want to revenge the person, or, you know, you need to take up the mantle from your mother. Second, you realize that if you don't, you're going to die. Third, you realize that if you don't succeed, all of the world that you know is going to collapse. I mean, you always have to raise the stakes higher and higher through the book. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it seems like whatever Fuego's end game is, I mean, the whole notion of, of I don't like Red Hood, so I'm going to kill Ruby, that, that seems a little weak. We need to give Fuego uh, uh, mm-hmm. some real solid and, and authentic and believable, not just evil, but, I mean, she's fighting for her people uh, who have always gotten short shrift, even from the Red Hoods. Who, I mean, these are demons. How can you justify taking care of demons? But because they fall under the pact of, of the protected creatures, uh, uh, they have no choice. So, you know, in a way, Fuego's kind of right to try and carve out her own space. And, and that's what you want in an antagonist. Somebody you can say, yeah, I can kind of see where she's coming from. Can you, can you speak a bit to, to the demons, just so I get a better sense of them? Can um, tell us about the demons. Wow. Oh, the demons. Um, the demons have always been on the outskirts of humanity. They've had no say in it for years, for anything that goes on. And they are aware of the Red Hoods, but they've always been afraid and cowardly, which is kind of different, kind of a, I guess, like a juxtaposition when you think of a cowardly demon. But. They've always been on the outskirts. They have had mm-hmm. no power, but they are starting to, I guess, find their voice because they've always had trouble um, having proper leadership because they don't really want a leader. They're greedy. They've been basically killing off their own leader of the faction for about, let's say, like 100 years or so mm-hmm. because they, everybody, wants to be, everybody wants to be the leader. So they just keep doing that until they finally have 
Fuego, who basically says, if you try to kill me, I'm going to kill all of you, and we won't have anything left. And using that kind of threat, she kind of gains everyone, all of the demons, yeah, demons is? Demons um, <laughs> yes, that's a word. That's totally a word. Um, respect, and she has them now under control, and with her leadership, she's no longer going to take crap from any of the other factions and rise up. Is it possible she gains that respect when she kills a Red Hood? Yes. Interesting. Lauren, what do you think? Um, I really like it. I, I, there's something, there's an idea that's kind of half-baked, and I'm not sure if it works. What, one thing that's really good, first of all, it's always good when you're doing a series or, an, or just a book in general, you know, for, you know, Ren has to discover basically her specialness, that she's not, you know, just reactive, that she's also not just stepping into her mom's shoes, but that she is special and that she has powers and that she can make a change. It's also always good to have the protagonist get herself into as much trouble as possible that she then has to unwind as opposed to just having kind of things happen to her. So I'm not sure if it works because I, I do, I like the idea of Fuego gaining all this respect by killing Ruby, but I almost had this idea, maybe there's some other way to work this in, that... Ren, thinking that she's doing a good thing, kills off, you know, maybe the leader, maybe it wasn't Fuego who actually killed her mom, but kills off the leader of the demons early on who, who, who killed her mom. And she believes she's gotten rid of the problem, but instead she's opened it up to a much bigger problem, which is now oh. Fuego is going to take control, who is much more evil and has potentially also orchestrated this whole thing. Do you nice. know what I mean? Wow. You like that? Yes. <laughs> that gives you a nice nice bit of action that takes you to act at the end of act one or at middle of act two, and then the the real danger rises up at the end of act two and we have to deal with in act three. That's awesome. That's great structure. I like that. <laughs> I like that a lot. Um and I really like the I the idea of uh, and and I know this is an idea that we put out there, um, but the idea of the red shirts, red cloaks being uh, uh warlike and violent. Not necessarily violent, but but solving things with swords and bows and strength and strength of arms, and having Ren coming in and changing that, and and initiating a transformation by not compromising her values. One thing that you said, I will be a red shirt, red cloak, but on my own terms. That right there totally mm -hmm. resonated with me. And in order for that to have power and substance when she finally makes that decision, I don't think it can be an act at the end of act one. I think she needs to be kicking and screaming with this all the way to the end of act two and then uh, uh, get it in there so that we can keep that tension as long as possible. Um, but then when she does make that decision, uh, you need to f surround it with so much stress and so much trouble that when she does make that call, it's momentous. It has power. Does that make sense? Yes. Yes. Lots of sense. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Very, love, very cool. I love the moment in books, and this could be served really well by having a character who comes with her from a different world. But there's something really, because that begs the question then, you know, what is her way? What are her strengths? You know, you've said what she wants. What does she need? What is she, what are her particular kind of powers? And I do like the, the moment, you know, there's a, the end of act two is usually when everything falls apart. You know, things look hopeless and we can't see that the protagonist will ever find her way out of it. 
Um, and I do like that there is some moment where this person who knows her and has known her strengths outside of being a red red cloak, um, out just being a human is like, she's like, I can't do this because of all these reasons, because I'm not a fighter, because I'm not this. And he's like, no, that's, or she says, no, that's why you can do it. That's that. Yes. Whatever particular set of skills is. And that's when she really, in mm. Act 3, really comes into it. She's been acting... You know, she's been act, taking on this mantle and acting this way, but she's been trying to be her mother, or she's been trying to be this other thing. And it's really in Act 3 that she becomes herself, yes. you know? Yes, mm-hmm. And for example, just, just as an example, I don't, I'm not saying this is, this is a suggestion, but as an example of what Lauren's talking about. At the end, everybody is expecting the red cloak to beat the crap out of Fuego, uh, somehow kicking butt and being a red cloak. Now, if we if we take the idea that there is a, a demon source of power uh, alongside the red cloak artifact, the the whatever the sacred grove, whatever, the solution. I mean, if if Fuego is trying to destroy this so that the demons can can have ultimate power and and rise up finally to achieve their place in hum, in the world, then the solution that somebody like this would do would be to fuse the red cloak artifact with the demon source of power so that they become one thing so that the demon cannot defeat that and now she be, she becomes a unifier rather than and a healer rather than a destroyer and a separator and this creates a whole new paradigm for the red cloaks that now you know sanctuary and hiding is probably not the best way to go about it. Maybe Ren is very hip. Maybe she's got the self. She's got the iPhone five. She's she's got the <laughs> iTunes hookup. She's all over it. And and this 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 podunk. I mean, humanity doesn't even have Wi-Fi. Oh my God! Uh, and she's going to bring this antiquated relic of a myth and a society into a modern age of integration. It's not going to be an easy job, but she's the one to do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> and there's always <laughs> long silences after I rant for so long. I apologize. <laughs> uh, but does that, did, Lauren? Does that? Well, yeah. I mean, it just it, basically. I mean, it needs to. It needs. It, it yes. It, if she's going to be universal, I mean, I do think if you're going to have a book with demons and werewolves, there needs to be some ass kicking. Let's. Oh, well, be yes, absolutely. Yeah. I, I do think that you know what what the key is is figuring out who she is as a character and how she's special and then the the thing that yes i mean in in general the thing that un, unhooks the end that enables her to solve that final battle or to triumph in that final battle um which by the way you know this is going to be a series i understand it's not really a final battle but you know in that moment it's the thing that she thought she had to repress or that, you know, wasn't important about her. It's that thing that she needs to embrace and discover in order for her to really kind of triumph. Mm-hmm. So it's where the emotions of the story and the plot of the story become indistinguishable. Does yeah. that make sense? Yeah. Lots cool. Of sense. Yeah. And that's what makes, by the way, when people read fantasies, what, what makes a really good fantasy still be able to suck you, your heart in and to make you feel that you read something important, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And of course, at the end, uh, uh, Fuego's handsome demon son, Daniel, has got to be really impressed by Ren's resolution and, right. and totally take her out for, you know, 
<laughs> hot dogs or something. I don't know. I'm, hot dogs. I am so out of touch with how that works. But They're cheap meat, apparently. Yeah, Kev, you're, 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 you can you can handle that end of things. I, I have no doubt. I will try. <laughs> well, friends, I'm, I'm watching the clock tick down. So what I would like to do uh, is take one last turn around the table and, and each of us give Keb uh, any words of wisdom, any, any last minute thoughts that we didn't get a chance to, to interject into the overall discussion uh, uh, and generally fill her pockets with as much literary gold as we can. So she will go off and she will write this story. Um, Lauren, we'll start off with you. Uh, uh, final words of wisdom, final thoughts uh, and suggestions. Absolutely. Um, you have a really, really great concept spend the time on it to make it as great as it could be. Um, this is a really rich world. You're dealing with a lot of mythologies, a lot of world building, but it's worth it. So don't rush through it. And remember to, you know, always look for places to actually escalate conflict yes. um, and always try to raise the stakes um, and, and really just at the start, figure out what, what Ren wants, but also figure out what she needs and how she's going to discover that over the course of the book. Mm. Excellent. Mm -hmm. Excellent. Ryan? Uh, I want to echo a lot of that because I think, I think uh, you've got a fantastic idea that can very easily be a fantastic book. Very easily. Your challenge is going to be making it a, a shitty day for Ren. Um, so you've got you to you gotta be willing to pull the trigger. So I'm going to issue you a bit of a challenge. I, I, I personally like this drill um, just because it gets me out of the mode of protecting my characters too much. Uh, write something. Doesn't, it's going to get thrown away where Ren loses. So that she doesn't stand, like, you know, before you've even started writing it, she's going to get beat at the end of this. It's almost like, I always think of it like uh, boxing training. You know, if you, if, before you step in the ring, you've been punched a lot. And uh, that's kind of what this is. I just, I, I think if you can spend some time pummeling Ren, metaphorically speaking, or literally, if needs be, <laughs> um, you'll get used to that idea. She needs to be in, in stiff conflict. Well, and you'll discover how she deals in adversity. You find out a lot about your characters when you do these little throwaway things. I would also encourage you, if you get an opportunity, to write a chapter to throw away, obviously, or maybe keep, who knows, from Fuego's point of view, just because I think that helps with the antagonist as well. Oh, my God, yes. Thank you. Very cool. Yeah, I and and I will I will certainly echo everything that has been said, uh, and and just say yeah. Um, one thing you had mentioned, Keb, that you were looking for ways to make it fresh uh, and keep it new. And mm -hmm. one of the things that struck me as as I'm sorry to say, not that um, is the notion of werewolves in a story with Red Riding Hood. Yeah. That's that's kind of done. And that's not to say that it cannot be done again. Do not interpret what I just said that way. Um, uh, but the, the idea of the werewolf being what really happened in Red Riding Hood is not a new idea. Um, you're going to need to find some way uh, uh, to infuse that with something fresh. You've all, and, and I'm wondering, um, since we've kind of taken you down the road of all of the myths are wrong... Um, maybe Keb some, some deep, uh, uh, immersion into some grim fairy tales. If you, I'm actually, I'm sure you already have. So revisit the things that you've already immersed yourself in and turn them on their ear, find new ways to express them. And when you populate the place of humanity, you know, take delight in, in, oh, these are the banshees. Everybody thinks they're this, but they're that. 
uh, and not in one sentence do you do this. This, 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 <laughs> this is something that happens and is revealed over time. But one of the cool things could be, and that would keep me turning the pages, is, ooh, so you've set up, I know that there's these six different races. She turned this one on its ear. I can't wait to see what she does with the other five. And each, each five could be a story in and of itself. You know? And as Lauren was saying, you don't need to throw all this stuff out initially. But the notion of instead of a werewolf, maybe spirit creatures... Uh, that people choose and infuse, and the wolf is one of many spirit creatures. It just happens to be the most predominant. Uh, uh, it wouldn't take away from that whole wildness of Bianca's clan uh, and, and would give you something else to play with. I don't know. Um, but other than that, yeah, the conflicts need to be tight. Uh, uh, you've got all the, all, the, all the set pieces are right here, Kev. You know, I think Ryan's suggestion of, of diving in and doing some, some discovery writing uh, with each of the characters and each of the places that you've done uh, uh, is really going to unfold and, and unfurl a lot of good stuff. So yep. just awesomeness, yeah. awesomeness all around. So Keb, I, I, again, I know it's never easy to do this <laughs> and, and I cannot tell you how much we appreciate and have enjoyed you letting us play in your sandbox for 45 minutes or so. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. I, this was amazing. This, <laughs> this is great. Good. Excellent. Excellent. Um, and, and Lauren, uh, ma'am, you are why we bring seasoned veterans from the literary battlefields into our, into our little world here. Thank you so much for, for infusing your, your unique aesthetic and your, your sense mm -hmm. of story into this discussion. It was invaluable and we are so grateful. Thank you. It was really a pleasure. It was, Kev, it was really great pleasure to talk to you and I look forward to seeing what you do. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Now, Keb, here's the deal. Um, you go out and you write this. I mean, that's, that's, there's no if about this. When this thing happens and you put it out there, whether you podcast it or you, you ebook it or you get a, a, a big six uh, a deal, big five, sorry, there's only five now. Um, but uh, you let us know. You come back, please let us know, and we will knight you. We will make you a knight of the round table podcast. What say you, ma'am? Are you up for that? I am definitely up for that. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. And we will have we will have wolf howls and banshee <laughs> cries in the background as as you are knighted. It'll be awesome. Ah, oh, so wow. Excellent. Good stuff. All kinds of awesomeness. Ryan, any any closing thoughts as we wrap up, man? Yeah, I've been in your chair before, Kev. Um, I'm the only one on this podcast other than you that's been in your chair before. So I'm going to tell you, I'm going to give you a little advice. If you're going to hang up the phone here in a few seconds, we're all going to go on with our days. Start writing. <laughs> start writing right now do it tomorrow too because you're on a high right now and you should ride that and really tr take the emotion you've got right now and use it Indeed. trust me yeah. good Thank advice you. good mm -hmm. advice Thank you so much. and and that that advice goes to you dear friends out there in our listening audience mm. thank you so much uh, uh for hitting the play button and joining us for this incredibly creative and delightful frothy romp into into <laughs> red riding hood mythology and awesome storytelling um now uh uh if you're, if you're feeling that, that rush, that desire to go write, um, by all means, write your stories. But, you know, if you want, you could always go out to iTunes and write one for us, too. Just a short one, just a little bitty one. Uh, because I had the foolish, foolish 
folly of naming this thing the Roundtable Podcast, and it turns out there's like five million Roundtable Podcasts out there, and our only <laughs> hope of ever rising <laughs> in the iTunes ranking is if you guys go out and push us up there. So please help help alleviate my folly with your grace and give us some give us some glad words out there. And so many of you have. Thank you for that. Um, <laughs> now the discussion continues as many of you have found on the thread. When we post this up, you're listening to it. That means it's up. If you have ideas for Keb, and I know so many of you will, mm -hmm. uh, uh, hit the comments on the post. And Keb, I will let you know when those comments come in because I know they will. Uh, uh, and the discussion continues. So many of you have been willing to do that and we're so grateful for it. Um, check us out on Facebook, facebook.com slash roundtablepodcast. We're on Twitter at Writers Podcast, and you can drop us a line at the table at roundtablepodcast.com. <sighs> now, we're all sitting here. You know, I personally am sitting here with an empty water glass going, wow. Oh, you didn't stay hydrated. I didn't. I, I tried, <laughs> but look, I was just sucking it down. It was like, wow, I didn't follow oh, Ryan's man. advice. Foolish man that I am. The thing <laughs> is, is that while this particular chapter of the round table is now closing, except, of course, for the discussion thread, in a couple of days, it starts all over again. We're going to have more awesome guest hosts, more courageous, creative and courageous guest writers coming nice. and bringing up, thank you, <laughs> bringing up awesome stories for discussion uh, and the quest for literary gold continues. Uh, that's just a couple of days away. Between now and then, Ryan, what do you think, man? Well, you need to stay hydrated. You personally, <laughs> everyone else needs to get their booty in the chair and start writing. Damn Skippy. Damn Skippy. And I will. I, I, I've clearly sweated out all of my mojo. I'm going to go get a drink of water right now. <laughs> um, but definitely go right. Definitely, friends, you find what you're looking for. Look for awesomeness. Look for cool. Look for top shelf blue label goodness. And you will find it. It's out there and it's yours for the taking. We will see you in just a couple of days. Until then, you guys stay cool. Be frosty. Be awesome. And we will talk to you soon. Bye-bye. This episode is copyright 2013 by the Roundtable Podcast and is released under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, share-alike license. That means don't sell it, but you can share it all you like. And you can even use pieces of it in your own derivative work, as long as you attribute us as the source and release the work under the same licensing terms. Theme music composed and performed by the talented Hepcats of Brotown, Gary Gold, David Labroyer, Billy Nobel, and Matt O'Donnell. If you'd like to be a guest writer or guest host, or learn more about the Roundtable Podcast, please visit our website at www.roundtablepodcast.com or visit our Facebook page at facebook.com slash roundtablepodcast. Our Twitter tag is at writerspodcast, or you can send us an email at thetable at roundtablepodcast.com. Thanks for listening.